Hi, this is Matt, and you're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along, the podcast for anyone and everyone who loves bluegrass. My guest on Bluegrass Jam Along this week is Kyle Tuttle, who lots of you will know from being a member of Molly Tuttle's band, but he also has a fantastic new solo record out, and that is why he's here to talk today. Kyle, welcome to the podcast. Howdy, Matt. Thanks for having me. Um, so congratulations on the album. I think by the time people hear this, it will be out, but your sort of second full-length album, Labour of Lust, is what we're here to talk about today. Uh, and it's quite a big sort of change from your last album, Bobcat. Particularly, I mean, they're both pretty eclectic records, but this one particularly has got songs on it. Yeah, correct. It's got songs versus the old one only had tunes, uh, if you want to put it that way, you know. Um, and uh, this one's also got a wider range of instruments. So, you know, sounds, it's got some more electric stuff, some electric banjos. and uh, But yeah, I would say more importantly, it's got songs. And it feels like that's a like a the heart of the record. There's the, the tunes um and the songs like it's a really cool mix of stuff but there's definitely kind of a real heart of this record in those songs and it sounds like from the the stuff that i've read that it was pretty meaningful record for you in terms of how that all came together and so what it represents in terms of what you're trying to communicate i guess sure yeah it it is um yeah i don't know you know i don't know exactly what i'm what I'm trying to communicate per se, but this, but, but, uh, this, it just came, um, so, you know, songs, I, I, when I made that other record, I I intended it to be instrumental, you know, and when I took it on the road and and started playing a lot of shows, I realized I didn't want it. I didn't, I immediately upon touring that first album, Bobcat, um, realized that that's not how my show would go not what i would want my show to go like you know um so uh so and i've always liked writing stuff you know i mean i was in punk rock bands and 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 singing my own songs when i was a when i was a teenager and stuff like that so that that element of of me was there too i guess but um but you know now now it's on record yeah and it's it's an interesting point kind of not quite sure what you wanted to communicate i think that's often the case when that's part of the, the joy of making art is because you've got something to get out and you're not sure what it is till you get it out necessarily. But there's a real, it felt like as a listener, there's a real theme, like a sort of almost like a bookended theme on this record. It starts, um, kind of starts with a song about working through difficult stuff um, and sort of processing and sort of just talking yourself around into getting on with life almost. Um, and there's a, you know, there's, there's a couple of songs that have, themes of that end but there's a lovely and we'll maybe come to this later but there's a lovely harry nielsen track at the end that sort of brings it back around a little bit to some of those themes too um mm-hmm. and it's you know i think the phrase that was in the, the the stuff that i read earlier refers to the album as an honest look at the realities of grief and death while still finding swatches of musical joy and whimsy and that's it's got all of that in it you know and it's i sort of I'd be interesting to sort of start with like where the what what the grief you were processing was because you talk about it pretty openly. It's on your website and and in the press materials that come out with the CD. And I think it'd be really interesting for people to hear a bit about that. Uh, sure. Yeah. You know, it's um uh I well I say I, st- I started recording that record in 2018, so some of the stuff um you know is is uh is kind of old and uh and it's and sort of predates all that all that other business but um but then uh, in 2019 i was playing in a band i was playing working with a uh friend and idol sort of you would say i guess jeff austin and i was uh i was he was uh in had been in the under mountain string band um which i was a big fan of and then i became a banjo player in his band which was super cool you know for me uh, and I did that for three years. Um, and then in 2019, Jeff passed, uh, away, unfortunately. Um, and, and so that was big, you know, that was, a <clears throat> that was like, you could say it, that was my, um, my job and a, a friend, you know, I lost, I lost, there was, there was two, 
it was really, really in, in two spots of my life, or at least, at least two, maybe more than that, really. Um, mm-hmm. And then also at, this, at the same time, I uh, ended up going through a divorce, uh, which, uh, you know, is, is, an, uh, is an unfortunate uh, thing for anyone to have to do, you know, and that's something that you grieve also, um, you know, and, and as far as, I mean, honestly, as far as divorces go, I, it wasn't that, it, it could have been worse, you know, or, or whatever, Um and that's for sure. And there's still a lot of love in that uh, situation, but those are, but that's a tough thing. That's a tough thing for anybody to do, you know? Um, so sort of, sort of, and, and it sounds like a, like a, uh, like a nineties country song, like the topics list of a nineties country song, right? You know, I lost my friend yeah. and I lost my job and I lost my girl. Um, but, uh, but, and I, and I don't and mean it to sound all, woe was me or nothing like that about it, you know? Um, but you, uh, that's, but, but some of the songs on the record, uh, are, are, are talking about that and sort of me processing those thoughts and experiences, you might say. Yeah. Cause there's something else. There's, um, sort of in the, in the lyrics of, of other, in other places as well, is just like, Saddle Up has a line about my past cannot be where my best is, so I saddle up and ride my buggy into town. It's that idea of, like, I get up and I pick myself up and I carry on. And, um, and it, sort of, as I said before, it's and I wonder, has that line also, you know, also who will cry when I'm gone and this idea of what you... And it, it reminded me a little bit of um, of the of death of a salesman and this idea that this guy knows he's going and he's planting things desperate in his garden because he wants to leave something behind and how will he be remembered and... But then the whole record sort of mm. comes around to the end with this beautiful Nielsen cover of um, Turn Your Radio On, which, like, I don't know where I'm going now that I'm gone. I hope the wind that's blowing helps me carry on, sort of echoes that theme and draws it through the whole record. And the idea of turn on your radio, listen to my song, you know, and it's that I, it's also that idea of when I'm not here, what will be. And so there's such a theme of that that runs through the songs for me. Yeah, uh, man, man, you really, you really nailed it there. Um, you've, you've obviously listened, done, done your homework. Um, cause, uh, those are, it's like kind of all the spots that I would mention probably, you know, um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that, that theme is, is, it is there, you know, and, and almost all of this album is original material, you know, that I wrote. Um, and that Nielsen one, man, um, turn on your, Turn on your radio. I always confuse it with the John Harford song, Turn Your Radio On. <laughs> yeah. um, turn on your radio. Uh, that totally sums it up, you know, in a, in a, in a really beautiful way. Those, those words and like, and, and, um, you know, just in, in my particular situation. And when, and when I think about my friend Jeff, you know, who, who played in the band, I mean, turn on, turn, turn on your record player and listen to my song, you know, it's easy it's an easy connection to make there. Um, but, but there, <clears throat> I think that statement can go deeper too. in in any way of just sort of remembering something that you have lost behind, have left behind, even if it's not as like actually direct as dropping a needle on a, on a physical slab of vinyl with grooves in it, you know, but, um, but when I, and, and in making the record, I guess, because I, like I said, I started in 2018 um, with some of the members of Jeff's band when we were on a little break from his band and I was out tour. I would take those same dudes uh, and go be the Kyle Tuttle band, you know, when we had a little time off from Jeff's band mm. um, and Jeff would go home with his family, you know, and we'd, we'd go run around and do my uh, shows. And so we did some recordings on that. Uh, Max Johnson is on this record playing bass and he was in that band at that time with me. Um, uh, anyway, I, I digress. That's, uh, I go through all that stuff, you know, and, and once, and then you start making the record and I keep progressing and doing these different sessions over time. And once I sort of noticed that that was a theme, let's say that that may be like loss, um, and, and, and that I was like maybe noticing that I was actually like working that stuff out in somewhat through song with myself and sort of coaching myself through what I wanted it to, what I wanted me to be or how I wanted me to come to, to survive this whole 
thing, you know, um, once I noticed, uh, what I'm trying to say is once I noticed that that theme was, had a pretty solid undercurrent of the record, the Nilsson tune just seemed like the perfect thing to, to close on. Cause like I said, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I don't know what I'm trying to convey, what message I'm trying to convey with this album. And I don't want it to be super heavy and dark. I'm, I'm not a, um, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a happy fun time stoner banjo jam grass guy, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, um, but I got feelings too. <laughs> and, uh, um, but this, but what I'm trying to say is that, that song, that Nielsen song, just as, as much as you could tie up something sort of in a nice eloquent, uh, bow, on a on a package and and it's his words not mine but it they resonate pretty heavily with me so yeah and it sort of is it just it, it it sort of surprised me at the end just how like it felt like it was a song that was written to finish that thread of thought almost you know it's remarkable yeah i felt that was i feel the same way so that's that's why i um you know threw it on there's another cover there's an earl scruggs banjo cover on there too of course you know but there's um yeah and i just talking about that that contrast and you know because it's there's a a lovely little quote that came along with the stuff i was sent in advance that says a life in professional music or performance of any kind really is often painted in glamour but the man behind the curtain can exist in a different a difficult duality um an attempt at putting a saddle on success can eat a person up and wreck the things they hold dear and that and it you know whether it's through whatever we do, we we tend to portray ourselves as the better versions of ourselves and the happy versions of ourselves. And it's, you know, it's easy to hide all the rest. And this is the ultimate sort of exercise in not hiding it really, isn't it? It's, it's putting it out in, in an album for people to hear it. But that balance, you know, as you say, you've got ground speed on there, which is like, it's fun. It's, you know, this is, it made me smile. Like it's not funny, but it's fun, you know, and, Mm-hmm. some of the bits on Scorch the Porch or like just the moment where the clarinet comes in on I Wonder that I wasn't expecting like I hadn't read the credits at that point I just put it on and listened and there's there's lots of light moments in there too um, and I think that contrast helps you know sometimes albums that are dark and deep throughout work really well but sometimes the contrast between the two things makes the makes them stand out even more yeah. And it's, it's a big part of, um, I, I don't know, just my, um, you know, approach to life in a lot of ways. I'm, 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 I'm a, I'm a fun loving dude. I, I like to go, if something's getting serious, if something's getting pretty serious, I'm probably going to crack a joke or try and make somebody laugh or, or try and make myself laugh more importantly, you know? Um, so I'm not going to be able to create a piece of work that doesn't have some element of that stuff. You know, like you talk about that ground speed thing, man, Max Johnson, like flat picks a bass solo, <laughs> like an electric bass solo. He's Max, Max Johnson is flat picking an electric bass, electric fuzz bass and like playing Earl Scruggs licks in his solo on it. And, you know, and it's like, I can't listen. I still can't listen to it without laughing, without like cracking up, listening to, to that part of that track specifically, you know, because, and that's, that's, um, I love my buddy Max and that's, and that's uh real important to me to be able to capture that type of thing as a part of a recording too, you know, as, mm. as a car, as a part of a project. I mean, as, as one element of a project. And that was one of those moments. I was standing on the, like a train platform waiting for a train to come, to come home from work. I was listening to ground speed and at the point that I realized I'm listening to like a, a picked fuzz bass playing a G run. It's like, yeah. Okay. I mean, also just the the sound of that that electric banjo through a tube amp. And it almost has the sound of, I don't know if you've ever heard like people like Buddy Emmons sort of play fiddle tunes on a pedal steel and it's got Mm -hmm. that fluidity and the sort of the, you know, he does a lot of picking that goes across the, the beats and, it's got that it, it, just the sound of it because it's got a bit less attack than an acoustic banjo. It's got just like it's a whole other thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a whole different that that is that instrument is a whole different animal, and you sort of have to approach it uh, differently than you do a than you do a 
a real banjo, but, um, and I don't get to do it much these days, but, uh, but there was a little point in time where my band almost always had drums and electric bass on the road. And, and I was, and I was playing that thing that, that was actually recorded obviously during that time, um, 2018. So I did have a good little run with the electric banjo, but I don't get, it doesn't come out too much these days. But it's interesting because even the the sort of like I'm going to do air quotes here. People can't see them because it's a podcast. But like traditional banjo <laughs> tone, there's a lot of treated acoustic banjo as well. Um, there's you know, correct. It's, it's not just electric banjo or acoustic banjo. There's acoustic banjo with all sorts of things going on. There's some pretty electronica sounds. There's you know, there's all sorts. And um, is mm-hmm. that does that come like is that a pedal board as you're playing, or is that stuff that's put on afterwards, or is it a mixture of the two? Uh, it's on this, on this recording, um, it's mostly pedal boards being used a lot in real time. You know, there's a couple little things where I would reamp it, uh, and, you know, take a clean banjo sound that's been recorded and then run that back through the pedal board and, and manipulate it at that point. But I would say that this is like 90% real time stuff. Um, there's a Leslie, it's at one point the track, I wonder is uh, and I think Two Big Hearts also is um, uh, is a acoustic banjo run through a Leslie that's been stereo mic'd. You know, a, a real uh, rotating speaker cabinet is what I'm talking about. So anybody doesn't know what a air what a Leslie means, it's a it's a rotating speaker in a box, and you put a microphone on each side of it, and then you separate those mics. So one of them's in one of your ears and one of them's in the other one of your ears. And what it sounds like this banjo is like whirling back and forth between your ears. Um, so that those tracks were done, um, with my friend Megan McCormick here in Nashville. And she's a, she's just an awesome, really, really creative engineer, you know, and we, we lived together at the time. So our house was an excellent studio and she mic'd up that banjo and then we ran it through the pedal board. Um, and all the, all the stuff on, um, on two big hearts with these, there's a couple of big old feedback swells and then they get brought down. Um, that was all done in real time with the, that's just me and the, and Jeff Saunders on bass and James Kittleman on drums and Megan behind the board. So cool. Yeah. And it's interesting with some effects that the nature of what they do to the sound, like you have to play, you have to play with them in real time because that's, you know, that's the deal. And something's, work great afterwards but there's there's a real joy in putting something on and then changing the way you think because it's doing something different there there is yeah and 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 also different you know different effects um require you to play the instrument differently you know if you if you want that delay to really work for example you're going to have to play your notes a certain type of way to mm. really get that sound and then you can't if you if you just play normal stuff and then you try and go back and adjust it you're going to not saying you can't make something cool, but but that's that's part of the fun for me uh, with uh, because I was an electric guitar player uh, too when I was a kid, you know, and so pedal boards and 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 affected sounds um, are nothing new uh, to me. So I have a lot of fun figuring out how to take the the weird things about a banjo that make it unique and then still combine them in a way that is actually successful with some things like envelope filters and delay pedals and, and, uh, and octave pedals and, and things like that, you know. Are there certain kind of pedals that tend to work on banjo and are there some that, that maybe don't? I remember talking to Jared Walker about what works on mandolin and what doesn't, and he said it's just it's really impossible to get any kind of fuzz or distortion that sounds nice on a mandolin. Yeah, same on the banjo. I think you, I think you sort of need low-end Maybe, you know, because on a guitar, you, you, with, the mandolin, with the mandolin and the banjo, you just, our register doesn't go down there, you know. Um, there's, you can, I can sometimes turn on an octave pedal and make, take my, my banjo notes an octave down and then apply a fuzz to that. And it's a little bit cooler, but at that point, it's not a banjo anymore. Anyway, it's, a, it's a getting down there into guitar territory, you know. Mm-hmm. But I find that like, you know, phasers, there's, you know, Pete Wernick set the, Pete Wernick with Hot Rise sort of set it okay to use a phaser, you know, on the banjo. And there's, and on a lot of that old Hot Rise stuff, man, it's, it's heavy. These, mm-hmm. as a, they, the engineer has got a heavy hand on that phaser. I mean, there's no mistaking that it's 
wishy-washy banjo sound. And so, uh, so, you know, I like to, there's a phaser that I like. It's not quite as, as intense as, as the hot rise sound, but, um, I find that that works really well. I find that a long delay and a short delay can both work really well just for different applications. Um, you got to have a reverb pedal on there because it tr just kind of makes your electric note sound more like an acoustic note, even for a half second, which is worth every penny of it, you know? So well, uh, there's a lot I of guess, fun stuff that can be done. I guess both banjo and mandolin are instruments that don't have a ton of sustain as well, which will affect what kind of things work on them. Cause you know, Big time. I think, I think what I enjoyed about this record first time around is that constantly some, there's constantly something new, like there's a song, there's a tune, there's a tune you know, but not like you've heard it before. There's there's new sounds coming from instruments you know. There's instruments you don't expect. There's like a real sort of like you talk about your sort of jam band roots and stuff in there. There's some real elements that take a nod to that, um, and it's just a sort of expect the unexpected kind of record. And I like that a lot about it. And it's particularly refreshing with like a track like Ground Speed that we've heard, like we know it, we love it. If you're going to do it, might as well do something different with it. You know, um, mm -hmm. there's such a there's such a temptation for. I think I've, maybe this is just where my head's at. Cause I've been talking to a lot of people about Earl Scruggs recently because it's just been his what would have been his hundredth birthday, and there's such a strong thread in string band music of tradition and doing things the correct way, and like that could be really exciting and really fun. But just everybody I've talked to talks about how progressive a musician Earl Scruggs was in the first place. And like you know, in your notes, it sort of says um, there's something in there about no banjo album would be complete without a tip of the hat to Mr. Earl Eugene Scruggs. He had a progressive side, and I like to think he'd dig this version. And like you know, it's yeah, it'd be cool. It'd be cool to chat about Earl for a minute, you know, because um, it's just that phrase: no banjo album would be complete without a tip of the hat to Earl Scruggs. He, he's such a presence in everything. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, you know, as, as we all know, like he wrote the book literally and figuratively, um, you know, uh, with, uh, and the sort of the more, if you're going to play the five string banjo with three finger picks on, the more whatever you choose to do is informed by Earl's sound, the easier it's going to be for people to digest for some reason and the better it's going to sound, the more the world is going to like it, you know, because we, we just, we love Earl. Everyone loves Earl and that sound and, and that, that, that version of timing, you know? Um, and, uh, but also the, like lean, but, but the way that it's recorded on my record obviously is, uh, not a traditional way that you're going to hear it played with the electric banjo and the fuzz bass and stuff like that. Um, but I, I find a little bit of, uh, the freedom maybe <laughs> in, in not trying to exactly follow the rules, uh, to that, tr to the tradition, the way that people, uh, the way that tradition is, is, uh, such a big part of this thing. And I can't sound quite like Earl. If I, maybe if I sounded, maybe the real deal is if I sounded a little more like Earl, I'd be happy to play it like him, you know, with, with that lineup or something. But, um, yeah, everybody wants to sound like Earl, man. I mean, he's, he's just the best. And he was, what he, what he was doing too was out of the box. Nobody had played that before. Nobody had played some of those, you know, he was hearing, um, some of those horn lines and jazz ideas and getting some of that stuff onto the banjo, which nobody had done that before. But then also you got him coming along with, um, with Bill and like the band essentially had been the same with different styles of banjo. You know, you had string bean and, and like, and grandpa Jones or whatever. And these, and these, these dudes. And then, um, here comes Earl plugged into that. And it's like the whole thing is just like, here's, there's your package. You know, you've been, so, so he, he was, he was innovative on multiple levels, you know? And then of course at the, and then in much later years when he goes and has the Earl Scruggs review with his sons, you know, there's another, another round of innovation 
coming from Earl where he's out there with the electric bass and the banjo and, and I mean the electric bass and drums and the electric guitars and stuff, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's uh, many sides to Earl for sure. And it sounds, I talked to John McEwen um, last year about Doc Watson and he was talking about the will the circle be unbroken sessions and what a major part of that Earl was and how he just got what they were trying to do. There was no sense of, you know, he, he, he went, yeah, that, yeah, that's a great idea. How can I help you get other people involved with that? Who, who do you want me to call, essentially? Right. Yeah, he, he, uh, he recognized the value in, in doing something like that. Or, or, or if not even recognized the value, just didn't see any good reason not to do it, you know, which, which is maybe even more important, you know, because, because a lot of those old timers on that, uh, on that record, you know, might've, might've needed some convincing to go do a session with a bunch of long haired hippies. Uh, but, uh, if Earl calls and says, do it, then it's, then you're probably going to do it, you know? Um, yeah. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? There's the, there's two responses to some questions and one of them is why and the other one's why not. And that, you know, <laughs> can take you in totally different directions. Totally. And they take you in very different directions. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, why not is is such a better is such a in most cases such a better uh, <laughs> option, you know. But yeah, and so you, I mean, you've studied banjo pretty intensively at college, and also with like various teachers and and players. And is is Earl like a thread through it? Like, is it possible to learn the banjo without people teaching you? some scrug style is he is that still the starting point for everything i don't yeah i don't think it would really be possible i mean it it wouldn't be it certainly wouldn't be possible to comprehensively learn the banjo without learning scrug style because that's a major part it's not the only way to play it there are there are other ways but even the other ways are like got to be subtly informed by Earl in some way or another, you know what I mean? Because you can play claw hammer, which is which for anybody that isn't familiar with it, it's hard to thing to describe. We're just talking about it, no seeing it, but it's more of a strum. It's more of like a down strum thing with your fingers and like a pluck with your thumb. And it's just the two, we would call it, you would call it maybe a two stroke motion. There's, there's two activities that can happen, you know, and then Earl comes along and he's got the three fingers. So there's three activities that can happen. Um, and there's, there's just, yeah. What, what do you, I mean, there's two finger, you can play two finger style. Snuffy Jenkins played stuff like that. Um, you know, uh, but, uh, and string bean, but, um, you can't, there's no way you could comprehensively study the banjo without studying what Earl Scruggs had done because guys like Bela Fleck and Tony Trishka have Earl all in their stuff, you know, and they, these are guys who have, who have broken barriers and, and created whole new areas of playing the banjo. But Earl, Earl's techniques are what made, are basically what made that possible, I guess you could even say. Yeah, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Just how sort of constant that influence is. Um, you know, it's, it's, I can't, the, one of the things that's emerged from doing these conversations about Earl is just, it seems to be almost a unique thing that your job as a banjo player is basically to recreate what somebody did 70 years ago. And that's not quite the same on any other instrument I can think of. No. And, and he's gotta be, I've thought, I've had this thought before. He's gotta be one of the most imitated people, musicians on the planet, you know, because they're, like you said, no other instrument is so defined by one guy. I mean, yeah, there's a million people that try and play like Jimi Hendrix. There's a million people that try and play like uh, Jimmy Page, you know, or Stevie Ray Vaughan or whatever. And there's all these cats, but that, but, and there's a lot of guitar players, but man, there's a lot of cats that they, try and do but earl is just the one that we all you know and even you can even be like oh well he's trying to play like jd crow or something it's like yeah but he's trying to play like earl so there's there <laughs> you know uh you know even if you're trying to play like bela you know i mean there's so much like i said so much of what bela does is informed and 
informed by and using the techniques created by Earl that you are inevitably also still trying to play like Earl um, to some degree. So he's got to be one of the most imitated dudes, people, one of the most imitated human beings like to ever be, to ever live, you know, which I think is super cool. Yeah, it's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Um, and, and and it's all and like you said, uh, um, you know, yeah, it's like, oh wow, well, we're trying to recreate almost everyone. Our job in a big way is just to recreate this thing this guy did, um, you know, seventy or or a little, yeah, so seventy years ago or whatever, you know, a little bit more ago. But again, like that's a long time in our lives and, and, and stuff. But man, in the span of music, the banjo is like brand new, you know, the piano, the, the way people shred on the piano has essentially been around for a long time. The way people shred on the violin, the techniques they use, the timing, you know, I'm not saying no one's created anything new on those instruments. Don't get me wrong, but the fundamentals were put in place uh, much longer ago than the fundamentals that we're using to play the banjo. It's like brand new. That's like so exciting. And, you know, to me anyway. Yeah. I just the thought that, you know, well, just through the invention of a set of tuners, I had an effect on the physical instrument as well. You know, this, the, the instrument itself was still being perfected with sure changes in skins and changes in, you know, all of that. Yeah. It's a remarkable thing. Um, I could talk to you about Earl all evening, but I'd like to talk about your record a bit more, if that's all right. Okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> what, what, what I was gonna, one of the things I was going to ask you about about it is, um, like you mentioned, you've been in bands before this, and singing's always so. The singing wasn't necessarily a new thing for you; it's just a new thing within this context. Um, and I was just curious how singing and playing three finger banjo works. Like if that's some sort of juggling plate spinning whilst riding a unicycle kind of trick. Um, it, it is, it's, uh, definitely, definitely a, yeah, rub your head and pat your belly, uh, type of, type of thing, you know, and, and say the alphabet backwards all at the same time. Um, there's a, there's a couple of things, you know, I mean, if you, if you think about like sort of referencing Earl still, right. I mean, it's the, it's the timing, it's the, what's goofy about the banjo is the forward roll or, or the three over two timing, however, however you want to put the syncopation thing. Um, that's what makes the banjo so cool. It's also what makes it rhythmically stand out uniquely different from other things. It's also what makes it rhythmically more complex. And so to sing over that is a very difficult thing to do. Um, but if you think about like, you know, finger style guitar players. I mean, those cats have got a thumb pick and finger picks, right? And they may be using index middle. They may be using index middle ring, but mm. Even if they've got another, even if they're using another digit to pick, at some points they're just using three for some kind of roll somewhere in there. So, and they're doing more four note pattern stuff. Those roles, the roles that, that those guys play often is more four note pattern stuff. So there's a way to get a roll, there's a way to get a pattern happening that's more four note based than three note based with your right hand as a banjo player. Um, and that is a big first step in trying to sing and play the banjo at the same time, you know, getting a, getting a, getting something, something that's not just thumb and index middle. Do you play the banjo? I, I had a guy play the banjo once. Uh, I play guitar. Okay. Yeah. I see the I see the guitar back there. So, but you don't play the banjo. Okay. So, um, uh, so, well, here's, this is, this is your, your free banjo lesson, Matt, that you never, uh, that you never <laughs> intended to get in the first place. But, um, a, a common thing that people do while they're playing the banjo and singing, like if you're going to sing backup or something like that is a more of just like a boom chick thing. It's like a thumb note pick and a thumb, uh, low note with your thumb pick and then the higher strings plucking with your index and middle fingers at the same time. Boom chick, boom chick, boom chick, boom chick. And there's not a lot of sonic value in that there's rhythmic value but there's not much it's not and if you add the chord value it's 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 um that's not exactly what you want to hear behind this the banjo player when he's singing that's what i'm saying i try to avoid i try to avoid that it works all right when 
you got a full bluegrass band context. That's the common go-to, but that's often not my context. I got usually just a banjo and a, and a fiddle and a bass in my band. Um, another guy that's a big influence on me in that specific department is Danny Barnes. Um, I don't know mm. if you're familiar with Danny Barnes, but he yeah. does some really cool stuff where he keeps the finger picks on, but he just uses, he just like slides his hand up the neck and is able to play some really strummy rhythmic type stuff. Um, and then just slide his hand back and be playing bluegrass style, scrug style, if you will, banjo again. So I've studied Danny a lot in that department, trying to figure that out. So it's interesting that that lineup of, cause the instrumentation on this album, like, and, and the, the sort of treatment of the banjo, but also like the, bass and the drums and, and the clarinet and like all this stuff you know it's interesting to hear that your sort of live lineup is generally you and a bass and a fiddle um are you going to get to tour this record much i am going to do a, a, a run on this and that's actually going to be a full bluegrass band situation you know guitar and mandolin and fiddle and bass and myself um and uh some special guests here and there are going to be joining us i'm sure but um but a lot of times when I take my band out these days, it's uh, me on banjo and a fiddle player and a bass player, which is uh, which is a really fun a fun way to make music. You don't it's not you don't get the full bluegrass band sound, but you also sort of aren't held back by certain limitations that you are in that are in place when you've sort of got that um, that full of a band sound. Plus the less parts, the less moving parts you got, the weirder places you can go sort of, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I'd be love, I love to, I love to, to, to jam, to extend jams and extend solos and, and take, uh, take one song and stick it in the middle of another song, you know, after the third chorus have a breakdown that goes into some weird place and then lands you in a new song. And then you do that whole song. And then after that one, you find some creative way to get yourself back into the first one. Um, and, uh, and that kind of stuff is, is typically done very much on the fly, you know? Uh, and mm -hmm. so with, uh, I find that with the fiddle and the banjo and the bass, and all of us haven't been plugged in. And so like being able to sort of lean on some effects and use some bigger, more creative sounds too. It's fun acoustic too, but it's really fun with when you, when, when it's, when it's amplified and, and modified. Yeah. And I guess maybe there's an element if people turn up and there's three of you rather than that sort of five, there's the expectation from the audience is slightly different as well. Cause it's, there's something, there's a yeah. certain sound you expect when you see five people big time playing those instruments you know i couldn't have, i, I should have yeah you said it better than me that's i think that's maybe even more important you know is that there's there's not the expectation of like oh they're gonna be like this you know um not that we would or wouldn't be like that and that it doesn't and it doesn't matter but uh when you look at the fiddle and the banjo and the bass you're just like huh what's that what, what are they gonna what are they gonna be you know so we can be i, I like to say that we can fake being a bluegrass band, we've got just enough of the stuff that when I roll and we boom, 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 and the, and the, and the fiddle, you know, we can fake being a bluegrass band to get through some bluegrass songs. And then we can also do some really off the wall, you know, stuff. Yeah, it's cool as a listener. I, I really enjoy stuff that's kind of duos and trios and slightly smaller. Um, Cause you get, you get a chance to hear like the music being passed around between people a little bit more clearly than you do it's like a different kind of conversation between the musicians and you can maybe hear a bit more of the interplay, which some, some stuff gets lost with a, a bigger band and, you know, totally, totally. Just some of the, some of the information just gets a little bit buried. And I, you know, I love that. I love, I love hearing sort of a, how the music takes a journey between people and back again. And right. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I mean, that's, there's a, there's a lot of, there's um, yeah. Being a, being a band, being a band leader, you know, you want to be in control of as much of the, of, as you can while still making sure that everything gets out there and that everyone ha in the, sh in the show has the opportunity to do their best and, and is in a situation where they're going to be able to do their best, where they can hear things, where they feel comfortable, where they can just 
succeed, be set up for success, you know? Um, and weirdly enough, sometimes a trio is, is, is really, uh, really feels like it, you achieve that a little easier, you know, because the, there's only, there's less lines of communication, uh, between, between the, the crew, the band, you know? Um, so it's, it's, uh, and I almost always feel like I have the, the strength that I need, the musical power that I need with that. You know, sometimes you're like, damn, if we had a rhythm guitar up here, it would, this would really be popping, you know, uh, but we don't. And, 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 but often I don't, often I don't feel that way. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And sometimes if, if it's maybe sometimes better to feel that way than to have it there and wish you had more space. Sure. Yeah, you know, exactly. Well, work, I mean, yes. and that's, you know, how do you think I got here, man? <laughs> that's uh, that's yeah, how we yeah. got here, man. You know, because, uh, because I did, uh, when I first toured that album, when I, when I, I had, I had lived in Nashville, I had been to school, I had been in bands, I had done lots of things, but I had not been a band leader ever until after, um, after I put out that Bobcat record and then I was like, okay, I'm going to take this on tour, you know? So there's a whole new set of responsibilities and a whole new set of tasks. And so in that way, mm. like, even though I had been all up and down the road, I had never approached it like that before, you know? And so that was a whole new, so, so I'm, I'm newer. I'm still newer at that, even though I've been up and down the road a million times and done a million shows more than a lot of people have there's um there's when it comes to being a band leader there's still i still got plenty to learn you know um so uh and i like that about it you know um but uh but going out and doing those shows with the with that bobcat record really put me in the in the situation for the first time where i had the ability to choose and create everything about the sound you know, and, and once I, and, and it became, and that sort of struggle of like always having a hard time hearing the banjo it, 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 over the years, you know, cause banjos are difficult to amplify. It's not anyone's mm -hmm. necessarily fault. Um, but you know, and always, ha and, and, and the rig not being ideal or whatever. Um, so, uh, my rig, my personal rig, I mean, um, but, uh, that it basically just led me to be like, all right, what, can I, how do I remove things and still get what I need done? You know what I mean? Uh, and where I landed there was the, was the, the fiddle bass and banjo thing. And that must've been an interesting journey to be on sort of playing with Molly Tuttle over the past few years. Cause presumably the venues just keep getting bigger and you know, then that, that's a, it's an irony. Yeah, and the irony is that in a jam situation, the banjo is not the thing you're struggling to hear, right? But live, it is. It's a difficult sound to get across. And just, I mean, from all sorts of levels, just from that side of it, but also Molly must have had to learn a lot about leading a band in the past five years as well. Um, it's been a really interesting journey to watch because you guys look like you're having such a huge amount of fun out there doing those shows. It looks like it looks like a gas, you know. It is. It is. uh it is to use your word, a gas for sure. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really exciting, you know? Um, and yeah, it's, it's only been, uh, it's only been two years. We're just going now into the third year, you know, um, with that project and, uh, it's, everything is, is just, yeah, every time it's, it's been really, uh, it's been really, uh, humbling to watch every time we come back to an, another city, it's, it's a bigger, space and there's more people there you know every time we come back to the same city it's a bigger space and there's more people there um and uh you know it's it's, it's sonically you learn yeah i mean there's definitely there's definitely growing there's definitely growing pains with anyone when you're go when it, when the rooms start to get a lot bigger it's like okay well now this yeah this instrument is about to be a lot louder than it used to be and we still need to be able to make it sound good ideally better ideally that it's, it's going to be a lot louder it needs to sound better than it used to sound actually because you're going to be able to hear more more people are going to hear it you're going to be able to hear more of it you know ideally um so and and there's never you know there's gear gear musical gear 
uh, is a never ending search, just like finding the right banjo, you know, just like any people you want to find the right mm-hmm. guitar, you want to find the, the, the best instrument for your, for your skill, for your, for your, uh, art, you know, for you to use. But then, uh, gear is just like that, man. I mean, and there people are always trying to make better, newer direct boxes, newer preamps. And, uh, and so, uh, it's a, it's a, never ending journey of trying new stuff and trying to figure out what's going to be the best and then using it for a while. And then someone else saying, Oh yeah, well, have you tried this one yet? You know, and then you try that one. And, but that's, but I've, I've always been a gearhead too. So, so I'm maybe for other people, I think for a lot of acoustic musicians, it's maybe not quite so extreme, but like I said, I was an electric guitar player when I was a kid and punk rock bands and, and, um, screaming tube amps and, bunch of boxes, bunch of pedal boards and stuff like that. So that's, I've always had a love of, of a love and understanding of, of toying with sounds and trying to get the best one you can get, you know? Yeah. I think for a lot of acoustic players, there's like, there's a sort of sense that plugging anything in is a necessary evil. And, you know, it's just, just attempting to get a clean, nice sounding amplified acoustic sound is a hard thing, but if but it, it also offers you opportunities to try something different. Yeah. I mean, and I, I would almost say, well, I don't, I don't know if I said it that well earlier, but I was trying to say there's that there's some freedom in sort of divorcing yourself from this mentality of like, Oh, well, uh, you know, Earl played it like this. So I've got to play it like this or like the, the role, the tone of the notes has got to be, you know, it's got to sound the presentation, the presentation of the banjo has got to sound like Earl did it. And I'm like, uh, let's put a, uh, let's, let's put a phaser on it. You know, like that'll, that'll be cool. As <laughs> then it's kind of makes it different. It's the same kind of thing. I think with, with electric, with, with having to plug your instrument in, because for a lot of people, I don't want to speak for anyone specifically, but for, like you said, for a lot of people, it's, it feels a lot of acoustic musicians, it feels like a necessary evil and they're going to plug it in because they have to, and they're going to try and get the best sound they can get that replicates the way that awesome, you know, $30,000 instrument sounds when it's sitting in a room with a, with a $10,000 microphone on it, you know, and I get it. I know why you want it, why we all want it to sound that way. I mean, that's cause it sounds really dang good and, and that's what we like. But with the banjo, man, with the electric banjo, with, I, with my acoustic banjo plugged into a pedal board, um, I don't really go for, I'm not, I'm shooting for something that sounds good and it's got an artificial low end, you know, it's a little fatter than a little fatter, a little warmer than the most banjos sound. Um, and then I've got effects that lean into that low end sound. So that helps me to simulate a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a body and a little bit more of a, of a, of a, of a something substantial than a lot of electric, than a lot of what you hear when you hear a plugged in acoustic banjo, you know, um, and I think it works really well for me and I, and I think it works really well for the banjo and I think it complements the music in almost in pretty much any situation that I'm going for. Uh, it seems to work so far. It's working for me, I guess I should say, but I know that I'm going for like a little bit more electric, a little bit more. I'm not trying to make the thing sound like it sounds like acoustic. Cause I know you can't do that. So I, and I think, mm-hmm. I, I think personally, I enjoy a little bit of freedom and a little lack of stress on the way my instrument sounds because I feel that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a really interesting like that word for it. It's really interesting to call it freedom because that like sort of taking it back to where we started all this and talking about the variety on this record and it feels free. It's not like you could make an album of the songs. You could make an album of the more sort of jam band tracks towards the end of the record. You could make an album of the tunes and this album's got them all and it just sounds like that that freedom is a really interesting word because it sounds like somebody just exploring like what they hear and going, well, where does this go? Where does that go? Let's go over here for a bit. Where does that fit in? And it's just, it makes it an exciting listen. Oh man. Well, thank you very much, Matt, for the kind words about that. I, uh, I, you know, I, I appreciate that. I think that's a lot of the goal you know if there is if there is anything that i'm trying to impart by on a listener from listening to the album it's just like it's a it's i want it to feel good and feel uh 
fun, you know, and that's, I think that's my goal all the time with my, with my, especially that's always my goal with my show. If, if you're going to see the Kyle Tuttle band show, um, it's, it's going to be fun. You know, it's going to, there's going to be some, there's going to be, there might be some slow and sad or songs or something, but that's like, you know, unless you catch me on a real sad day, I mean, maybe you'll catch a sad show or something, but mostly <laughs> it's, mostly it's fun. That's what, that's what I, um, that's one of the things that I guess that I love about music is, is that, is that, you know, it gets, it gets you together with your friends and the people that are in my band are always my friends. So I'm having to pull my friends through some, some pieces of music that they're, they're maybe kind of familiar with, but not that familiar with, you know, and we're always sort of on the seat of our, on the edge of our seats. And when, when you get the band on the edge of their seats then the audience is really going to be on the edge of their seats, you know, and that's, uh, to me, that's when the fun, that's the fun stuff. That's, that's what I love about. It's not about, um, getting out there and, and, and re, uh, re-delivering your, your music a, a, a bunch of times successfully. Not that there's anything wrong with that. There's, as that's awesome. That's what music, that's what professional music is built on, getting out there and successfully re-delivering your message over and over and over again. I just like to have as much fun as I can possibly have with it, you know, and I'm, I'm I hope this record still pervades that, you know. Yeah, I mean, it really does. And there's just that, there's that fun in, like, as an audience. Even listen to a recording that is all already happened by the time you hear it. But it's the sense that I can't predict where it's going to go because you don't entirely know until it's finished. Whereas, you know, it, there's still, you know, there's gaps to be filled and coloured in there for you. So there's going to be for us as listeners. And it's it's always an exciting thing. Um, I hope this record does really well for you. And I hope the tour is a bunch of fun. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It's been a treat. Yeah, thank you very much, Matt. I appreciate that. It's been uh, it's definitely been a pleasure to chat with you, man, for sure. So thanks for having me, and thanks for digging the record. Bluegrass Jamalong is proud to be sponsored by Collins Guitars and Mandolins, making some of the finest guitars and mandolins in the world since the 1970s. Visit collingsguitars.com and find out why.